Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. We started a new series, and it's called Journey to Christmas. And he talked about Mary and Joseph and their first journey to Christmas. When they left Nazareth, they went all the way down to Bethlehem. And so today we're gonna be looking at the shepherd's journey to Christmas. So we're going back to Luke chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke chapter two and we're calling today's message, Rerouting to Bethlehem. Rerouting to Bethlehem. How many of you have ever heard of this uh, app, this travel app on your phone? It's called Waze. How many of you have heard of Waze? How many Waze users do you have in the house? Okay, Waze. W-A-Z-E, Waze. So historically, I've always been a Google Maps guy. Anytime I would travel, I would would always use Google Maps, and I felt really good about it. had a lot of confidence, a lot of trust in Google Maps. Well, then people started saying, why are you using Google Maps? Have you gotten the Waze app yet? And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure that they're all the same. And they were like, no, you got to download the Waze app. I was like, well, what's so great about the Waze app? And they said, well, um, it tells you if there's a cop coming up. <laughs> now, pastor, as a man of God, that is not a feature that I would need because Romans 13 teaches us that we should obey the laws of the land. And so even though I have four young children and on long road trips, I'm never tempted to speed to get there quicker I thought, well, maybe that feature isn't what one I would use in particular, but maybe there's some other features. And I remember I downloaded the app and I started using it. And look, I'll be honest, I just didn't trust it. I was like, I don't know, this is new. I mean, Google's Google Maps has been around a lot longer. And I remember it told me to reroute. We were on our way to Orlando and it said, you need to reroute. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm getting off the interstate. I'm gonna stay on the interstate. So I ignored the Waze app. And about 20 minutes later, I found myself in dead stop traffic for over an hour. And it was that day that I knew that I would never not trust the Waze app again. That no matter what, I would re, if it says reroute and I don't see anything, I would reroute my path because I wanted to make sure I would never happen again. And so this is so crazy because what you're going to see in this story is how these shepherds, they start off in this one place and God reroutes them. And this is how our faith journey works. God will take, if you've been a Christian for just even a few days, but if you've been a Christian for months and years, you'll know this, that as you're walking down the path that God has set for you, what will happen is he will interrupt your journey and he will at times reroute you. He will ask you to pivot in your path. And so we're going to be looking at Luke's account. Now, Pastor Mike did a great job talking about this last week, but Luke He was not one of the original disciples, so he was not actually there for these events. He was, uh, he gave his life to Christ after the resurrection of Jesus, and he was a medical doctor, but he was also a historian. And so what he did was he went around the early church, and he began to interview people. He began to ask questions and wanted to get as much information as he could. And so what we can see when we read this uh, account is that Luke actually interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus. He sat down with her and he said, look, I want all of the details. 
I want to know what happened around Jesus's birth. I want to know what was going on. Not only that, I want to know from your perspective how you felt, what you were thinking about, what was going on in your mind. And so what we have is a unique opportunity to get to experience the story of the birth of Jesus from Mary's perspective. And so as we read through this, I really do believe that Luke wants us to do three things. When he was compiling the story of the shepherds, I think he wants us to do three things. If you're taking notes, you can write these three things down. First, I think he wants us to see the glory. Then he wants us to find the peace. And then he wants us to worship and wonder. He wants us to see the glory. He wants us to find the peace and he wants us to worship and wonder. Let's dive into Luke chapter 2 and first see the glory. Chapter 2, verse 8 says this, And in the same region where, the shepherds, uh, where shepherds were out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, and we're watching this unfold in the first century. Sometimes we have this um, disadvantage where we, we're so familiar with these stories and we're living in a different culture that when we read these things, certain things are missed. Certain things don't stand out to us that would have absolutely stood out in the first century. And the first thing we see here is that angels are appearing to shepherds. And I think there's a few reasons why. One, Pastor Mike mentioned last week, these shepherds weren't any ordinary shepherds. These shepherds were actually out in the fields between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And so they were watching over what were called temple sheep. You see, the sheep that they were watching over were the sheep that would eventually be used in temple sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. So in one sense, it was like the angels were coming to them and saying, look, you've been watching these sheep and they were born for one reason. They were born so that they may die for the sins of the people. And the true Lamb of God has come. You have set your eyes to these sheep for years, but there's an even greater sacrifice that has come into the world. I think that's one reason. Another reason, I think, is because this is actually a preview of the kind of ministry that Jesus was going to have. You see, the angel didn't go to a king and say, a new king has come. The angel didn't go to a religious leader and say, a new religious leader has come. But the angel went to shepherds and said, the great shepherd has come. You see, back in the Old Testament, the picture of the shepherd was the picture of God. In Psalms chapter 23, how many of you have heard of Psalms 23 before? What does it say? The Lord is my shepherd. You see, Jesus didn't come to be some just religious leader or just some tyrant king, but he came to shepherd his people as Yahweh himself. But one of the reasons I want to focus in on, and I think this is so important, I think Luke wants us to see this, was the status of these shepherds. So in their culture, shepherds were the lowest possible class that you could be. Shepherds were not the kind of people that you would get excited about hanging around with. In fact, Shepherds had such a bad reputation that they were not allowed to testify in court. So they had no social credibility whatsoever. And the angel comes and trusts the announcement of the arrival of the Messiah to the most non-credible people 
around. This is so crazy because I want you to see how this works because this, there's a cool little book in here because at Jesus's birth, the angel appears to these social outcasts, these people of low status, these people who couldn't even testify in court to announce the arrival of the Messiah. But then at Jesus's resurrection, angels come and they announce his resurrection and they announce it to a group of women first. And in their culture, women were also not allowed to testify in court. And see, I think this is amazing because what's happening is God is doing things in ways that we couldn't even imagine. You know, there's a lot of people that say, well, you know what, you know, I don't know if I believe the Bible. I don't know if I believe this and that. And there's about a billion reasons that I believe the Bible. But whenever I study this, this stands out to me because what's crazy is if you were in the first century, and you were trying to make up a story. You were just trying to convince people that your newfound religion was the true religion. This is not how you would do it. You would not go and say, he appeared to shepherds first. You would not say he was born in a stable, in a feeding trough of animals. This is not how it would be done. And Paul recognized this, and look what Paul had to say about it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this. He says, but we have this treasure. This treasure is the gospel in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I want you to catch this. This is what God's plan is. This is so beautiful. See, I've got three points for you today. This first point, there's nothing that I want you to do with it. I just want you to see something. I want you to recognize something because what's happening here is God takes his glory, the glory of the gospel, and he puts it in the hands of the lowly. He puts it in the hands of the broken. He puts it in the hands of those who are not worthy to carry it. But why does he do this? So that when people see the gospel, they don't look to us, they look to him. God gives his people the gospel. He gives them his glory and he puts it inside of us. You know, I have, I have four kids. Um, I have three daughters and a son. And uh, one of my daughters decided uh, that she was going to start making her bucket list. Now she's only 12 years old. I, you know, I, I, I don't even know how she knows what a bucket list is, but she decided that she wanted to make this bucket list. And the other day, me and my wife were driving down the road and it was just us two and my 12-year-old daughter. And she says, hey, I've got this bucket list I've been working on. I've been putting a lot of time into it. And I'm going to be real vulnerable right now. I want to reveal to you one of those bucket list items. And she says, there's this restaurant that I want to eat at. And we've never eaten there ever. And I want to eat there so bad. And I've thought about it. And I've seen advertisements for this restaurant. And my head starts spinning. I'm like, what restaurant is she talking about? Is she talking about like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, like Fleming's? Like what is, and she goes, it's this amazing place. It's called Subway. <laughs> and as a good dad, I try not to laugh. But I could sense my wife looking at me like, don't you laugh. You better not laugh. And she's like, this place is amazing. She's like, you can put anything you want on a sandwich. 
She's like, you go in there, and she starts describing Subway. She's like, you could tell them to put anything, and they'll just put it on a sandwich. You can have any kind of sandwich. There are thousands of ways to make sandwiches. And I thought, wow, okay, well, maybe I've missed some of the glory in Subway. Maybe I've become too familiar with the story of Subway that I have been unable to recognize the goodness that is hashtag eat fresh. You know what I'm talking about? But I love that about child, childlike faith can, can find the wonder in anything. And as we grow up, sometimes, let's get, be, let's be honest, we can be a little Scrooge-like. We can approach the Christmas story and we can miss the glory. We, we look at the story and we forget how amazing this is. And we get caught up in the busyness of it all. We get caught up in all of the present wrapping and all of the, the, the you know, we got church and then we've got our personal lives and then, well, what are we gonna get this person? Well, then, oh, well, this, you know, or, or is anybody else know what I'm talking about? And then you got all your family and they're all like, well, what do you want? And you're like, I don't know, I'm an adult. I don't want any, any if, I, if I want something, I usually just buy it for myself, you know? Like, and there's all these pressures and it's easy to miss the glory behind the story. So the first thing I want you to do, and I think this is exactly what Luke wants us to see, is that we just have to see the glory because only God would take the Messiah and put him in a manger. Only God would take the announcement of the arrival of his son and place it in the hands of shepherds. And this Christmas, there's a glory inside of you. You are carriers of that glory and you have a responsibility to bring that glory to the world. So first, let's see the glory. But the second one is we got to find the peace. Verse 10 says this. It says, the angel said to them, fear not. Everybody say that with me. Say, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Find the peace. You know, how many? it's December. I know it's been a long year, but how many of y'all remember our word for this year was peace as a church? We did a series back in January. We've been talking about peace all year long. And it's crazy when you look at this story because the first words that come out of the angel's mouth to these shepherds is what? Fear not. Now, I think what happens is, 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 is you probably say, okay, well, why were they afraid? Well, that kind of makes sense from just a practical sense, you know, if you were standing out in the middle of the night and all of a sudden there was this angel standing there, probably be a little scary, right? But there's a lot more going on here than I think we can see in this text. And when you look in the Bible, there's a pattern. There's a pattern when people see the glory of God, they become afraid. You see, this started all the way back in the garden. Back in the garden when Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. And he came to find them. What did they do? They hid. And he asked them, why did you hide? And they said, because we were afraid. And throughout the Old Testament, anytime anyone gets around God's glory, 
they become afraid. I've talked to people before who've been like, man, I just wish I could see God. Man, I'd believe God if I could see him. You know, I just wish I could just look at him. It'd be so cool to see him. Well, everybody in the Bible that did did not like it. Everybody in the Bible got scared. In fact, the Israelites were, were around Mount Sinai and God's glory descended on that mountain. And they went to Moses and they said, um, we're going to need you to be the one that talks to God because we don't want to converse with him directly. Because he's intense. There's something going on here. Isaiah in chapter six, Isaiah, this is like the leading prophet of the world at the time. Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord. And look what he says in verse five. He says, and I said, woe is me. Everybody say, woe. Woe is me for I am lost. For I am man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That phrase, woe is me, some people translate it, I am dead, or I am ruined, or this is the end. Here is one of the most holy men in the whole nation. But when he stands in the presence of God, he's immediately afraid. How do we explain this? What, why is this the case? Well, I thought about it like this. Imagine, imagine you decided that you were going to impersonate a police officer, okay? So you're going to impersonate a police officer. You, you know, you got on the uniform, the badge, you know, you got all the things. You, you look like a police officer. Now, when you walk around and talk to the average civilian, you could probably convince them you're a police officer because you what? You look the part, Right, you go up to them. You can pretend you're a cop. All those sorts of things. But what would happen if a real police officer walked up to you while you were trying to impersonate a police officer? You'd probably get a little more nervous. Why? Because you know they would see right through you. You know they would look at the way you talk, the way that you think, the way that you speak, and they would say, ah, "I don't think something's not right here. Something is. Something is a little." Off. In other words, you would feel completely exposed. And what happens is the same thing is when we get in, we, we are in the glory of the presence of God, we realize just how unholy we really are. You see, we can come to church and we can pretend to be holy. And look, I could like, I could like pretend to be holy in front of all y'all and like feel good about myself, you know. Be like, I'm better than y'all. You know, I've got it going on. I'm doing all the things right. You know, I'm a minister of the gospel, blah, 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 blah. And that's fine. We can pretend in these type of environments. But when we stand in the presence of God, everything is seen. But what does the angel say? Fear not. Because something has drastically changed. This angel is there, and it says all of a sudden you see this heavenly host. Now, we missed this in the English, but that word host literally means an army. So this is an army of giant angels, an angelic army. When you see an army, what do you think? War. And here is an army, and they're not proclaiming war. They're proclaiming peace. Something significant has changed. And the angel says to them, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby 
a baby swaddled up in a manger. Just put yourself in their shoes for a second. If I'm standing there and this angel and this like, you know, army of angels is standing there and they say, we're going to give you a sign. I would think, aren't you the sign? I don't need more signs than what I'm seeing in this moment. Like, you're pretty big. I mean, you've, you're, you know, you got giant wings or however they looked, you know, I mean, you think you're, you must be clearly the sign. And then they're like, no, we're not the sign. We're here to tell you about the sign. The sign is a baby. Is there anything less threatening than a baby? Is there anything less intimidating? Well, I don't know. As a dad, I was pretty intimidated by all my children, but a baby does not scream war because the angel says the Messiah has arrived and he did not come on a chariot from heaven to wage war against mankind, but he came as a poor child to bring peace. This is the message of the gospel that God wants to bring peace between him and man. And he wants that peace to not only come to us, but to come through us to those around us. How many of you, uh, just by a show of hands, you've got some Christmas parties coming up this week, some gatherings. I love Christmas parties. I love all the things about them. Well, maybe not all the things. I love most of the things about them. But how many of you know everybody kind of brings something different to these Christmas parties? There's those people that bring the good food. How many of y'all are the good food bringers? Okay. How many of y'all are the good food eaters? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's where I camp out. So, so my dad is right here. Uh, my dad, he makes, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, put, I'll challenge anyone. My dad makes the world's best peanut brittle. It is the world's best peanut brittle. We had a small group. My dad's in my small group. We had a small group party last week and he brought that peanut brittle and everybody was standing around that peanut brittle because it's just the best peanut brittle. And we all have those family members. I mean, they have their specialties. They, they, everybody brings something. Some, sometimes people bring good things. Sometimes people bring not so good things. Y'all got any uh, relatives that bring uh, drama to the Christmas experience? You got that one uncle that comes in and he has like all the, you know, political opinions and you're like, well, just trying to talk about Jesus, man, you know? You got that one grandma that wants to critique everything. Well, that's not how we did it in those days, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody brings something to the Christmas experience. What did Jesus bring to the first Christmas? He brought peace. He brought peace for us. And this is exactly what Luke wants us to see, that we do not have to be afraid because God has sent his peace on earth through his son, Jesus. You see, we got to see the glory. We've got to find the peace, but then we have to worship in wonder. Look how the story ends. Luke chapter two, verse 15, it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It says, they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. Now, I want you to check out these four things. And uh, all who heard it, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, 
pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. See, we have to worship and wonder. I love how descriptive Luke is because Luke gives us an insider's track on how everybody was feeling. And there were four responses that the people had. And I believe these four responses are the four responses that every single one of us need to have at the Christmas story, at the story of the Messiah being born. The first was wonder, wonder. To wonder, this means to marvel at something significant. You ever had a moment in your life where you thought, I can't believe this is actually happening? Like, I can't believe it. I, I cannot believe I am living in this moment. You are marveling at the moment. There was a moment like this in my life, in all of our lives, really. Back in November in the LSU-Alabama game. I had a lot of small marveling moments throughout that game, like, whoa, we're not getting blown out. That's great. And, you know, you start trying to like gauge your own hope, you know? And you're like, well, don't get, too, don't get too excited. I mean, you know, and then you get to halftime and you're like, well, I mean, we're still in the game. That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, it could end right now and I'll be happy if we lose, right? Well, then you tie it up and you go into overtime. And you're thinking to yourself, well, well, there's no, you know, there, there's no way. There's no way we're gonna win. And then they score and then we score on the first play. And then remember what happened? All of a sudden, our offense is lining up for the two-point conversion. And I begin to marvel. I begin to wonder, what are we doing? Well, then they call a timeout. I was like, oh, it was a diversion. It was a diversion. We'll come back from the timeout. What happens? We line up again. And I'm like, I can't believe this. We're going for two. We're going for the win. And there were massive shouts across all of South Louisiana. The second he threw that ball and that guy crossed the goal line and those hands went up. We were at my sister's house and we were screaming at the top of our lungs. All four of my children started crying because they were scared. <laughs> they thought something horrible had happened in the world and I was like, no, 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 no. This is a wonder. We are marveling at this experience. We are living in a significant moment because you can't believe it's actually happening. And that's the way we have to look at the Christmas story. We have to see how wonderful it is, how amazing it is that God stepped out of heaven and he came to earth to be with us, to live for us, to die for us, and to know us forever. This is the gospel story. We have to take time to wonder, but it says Mary treasured these things in her heart. And that word treasure, it means to keep something alive. It's like fanning a flame. In other words, she kept feeding her soul with the truth of the gospel. You think about the year that Mary had had. Pastor Mike did an amazing job last week talking about this. Starting with these highs and having these lows. I mean, she had angelic visions. Every Jewish girl's dream would be to be the mother of the Messiah, to be the mother of the Messiah and to have an angel come to you and say, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. 
But then, but then it all, it's all at risk now because she was supposed to be getting married. Now she didn't know if she was going to get married. And Joseph was deciding to divorce her quietly. He was trying to protect her. And here she is, public shame, public ridicule. The whispers and the rumors. And what happens? She travels down to Bethlehem and she has this baby and these shepherds show up. These social outcasts and they say, you know what? I don't know what anyone else is saying about this birth, but I know what heaven is saying about this birth. It is the most significant moment in human history. And she took her heart and she began to treasure these things up. She began to fan the flame of faith in her own soul. And she began to ponder. That word means what? To think. To think intensely about something. She began to take her mind. She began to focus on what was happening. The significance of it. The meaning of it. What it meant for her life. What it meant for the world. And as believers, let's be honest. This time of year, it's so hard. There's so many things to think about. There's so many so many details. But this is the one thing we should be thinking about. About the baby, the sign. Lying in the manger. And it said, as the shepherds returned, they worshiped. They glorified and they praised God. They glorified and they praised God. They gave God the glory due his name. I love how these shepherds, they went back. They went back to where they came from. They went back to the same place, but they were different people. They went from just watching sheep to worshiping the shepherd. They were spectators, and now they were worshipers. And I believe Luke wants us, every single one of us, if you are a believer in Christ, don't let this season pass you up. Don't let these moments pass you up because guess what? This is a moment to marvel at. This is a moment of, in, of in, immense significance for all of us. There can be peace. There is a glory in how he came, but we are called to worship in wonder this morning. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.